welcome to Page Parlay, where we chat to the authors whose work we hear on scintillating stories. Today, we turn the tables as I interview the host of Yorick Radio Productions, Rosie Beach, about her story, Llewellyn's Last Stand. Hi, Rosie. Welcome to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That is a magical introduction. I feel so special. (laughs) Oh, well, as you should, because you've written quite a remarkable story, I must say. Oh, thank you. (laughs) As you did with myself, we kind of kick things off with a summary of sort of uh, who you are, what sort of things you write when you're not busy doing this podcast. What what sort of things are you up to? <laughs> yes. Um, so the sort of things I write, I I, I ch- tend to write where the whims take me. If you know what I mean. Oh, I get. That. Um, oh yeah, you just like something overtakes your brain, and you're like, oh fine, I'll have to write this now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. If I have a trend in any direction, it's that I tend to like writing relationships and friendships, um, and the setting is a fun bonus, but it's the, um, it's the human connections that I really enjoy writing. And I think there tends to be not a childishness in a bad way, maybe it is childishness in a bad way, but like a childishness. A sort of childishness to the the world view in that it's it's still it's often this anything is possible. So there are dark themes, but children have dark thoughts. So I think it's the, my inner child finally being allowed to express itself. <laughs> no, that, that that makes sense. I mean, I think also, um, particularly in this story, um, not to generalise, but that sort of comes across in a way. There's a very sort of fairy tale esque element uh, I found to the story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, especially for this story, I really wanted those fairy tale-esque themes going into perhaps places that people don't normally go to, like death, and then the journey to come back. Uh, That was, I I really wanted that to come across. It did come from this, a childlike place in that it came from, in a way, playing. (laughs) So um, my friends and I, uh, yourself included, uh, we LARP. We like to uh, role play or improvise. And I think uh, a lot of us use it to creatively fulfill ourselves or to workshop ideas. And I know I certainly draw so much from that. And from my interaction with, with you guys, I think it really helps to create this magical feeling this this lived in homely feeling when i write because i have lived in lived in it temporarily mm, I, think yeah, I, definitely. Yeah. I think i definitely come to writing from an actor's perspective uh which has its its benefits and its drawbacks <laughs> um but it's it, i think one of the benefits is that it allows me to think about how the characters feel and the everyday choices they have to make, these little moments. So led me to this story mm-hmm. was uh, that we were playing around with an idea of uh, an Iron Age, uh, a, a much older time period than we usually experimented with. And it was such fun. It was very freeing. Oh, def- def- I definitely agree with that. It's sort of, um, th- this was a time as I think we said when we were first creating it, this is a time where, you know, gods walked the earth and there was still magic and it hadn't, you know, for example, in the future, I guess, of this world, it hadn't been criminalised or thought of as evil. It was just how things were. Exactly. It, it, and it really reminded me of this. There's a beautiful, beautiful thing in um certain countries in the world. I'm thinking mostly of West Africa, where 
magic or what we would call what's translated as magic i'm sure it has a much more subtle definition but magic the concept of witchcraft can exist alongside religion and they aren't necessarily opposed somebody can practice witchcraft and um islam is the one of the primary religions there so often it is islam and witchcraft can be a good thing a bad thing it's a neutral entity and i think that the story that we that the, or the setting we explore it allows you to explore gray characters by gray i don't mean batman by gray i mean as in real gray people mm-hmm. in like people who do good things and bad things constantly throughout throughout ev- each day yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that's the case with uh, with the world that we've created. Um, for example, <laughs> with, with with certain characters, you, you think, oh, this character's you know on say team good guy, and then they oh. do something, and you're kind of there going, eh, mate, you're supposed to be good. What are you doing? Oh, completely, a hundred percent. And that's the thing, they nobody is constantly good or constantly bad. Everybody is, and and, and good and bad depends. I think most people try to be good. People try to do the right thing. But in a million ways, we fail ourselves, we fail others, we do things we know we shouldn't do. And and that doesn't make us bad people. It just makes people who are doing things that are not necessarily doing the most good for the most people. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I'm just thinking this is starting to feel like an episode of The Good Place. <laughs> yes, philosophy for the win. Love The Good Place. Uh, just cause, because it just makes me think of the quote where, um, where Michael says uh, people aren't necessarily, uh, it's not the exact quote, but he says something like, you know, it doesn't matter whether people are good or bad. What matters is that every day they're trying to do better than they did the day before. Exactly. I really feel that in this story because, and and, and in the world as a whole, I feel like everybody, the, the world is at one of those points that Shakespeare loved to write about so much, which were crisis points. When it felt like the world, the nature of the world was changing and people had, they knew that their time was coming to an end and a new time was coming and they might be a part of that world and they might not be. And they really had to, they felt like they had to work for it. I'm thinking specifically of King Lear in when I say that and the, you know, the omens of the coming of the new era. And I feel like this setting is a race. It's a race to try and survive into the next dawn. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think how best to take it from this wide expanse that we seem to be discussing back to the <laughs> nitty gritty. But I suppose this question sort of goes with the whole expanse thing that I just said, um, uh-huh. uh, which is to say, even though this is a fantasy kind of Iron Age that that you have in Llewellyn's Last Stand, um, I was just wondering if there was... Uh, particularly for this story, um, any basis in historical fact, or if it was mostly from your imagination, kind of, basically my question is, uh, what sort of research uh, did you do for the story and for the style in which you wrote it? Well, the research I did was primarily around aspects of performance. So this was originally um, something of a play. I, I don't even know if I'd call it a play. I think I'd call it... Uh, oh God, this sounds so pretentious, but it was it was a performance piece, darling. It was. I was piece. literally just thinking of the phrase, don't worry, it's not just you. <laughs> yes. Um, so this was originally something that was acted out. Uh, there was a choreographed fight. Uh, there was music and dancing isn't the right word, but choreography definitely happened. <laughs> Chor- 
movement happened to a rhythm. Indeed. <laughs> I was debating whether to really lean into inclusion. Uh, so using techniques that made the audience feel involved in the piece. Uh, so for instance, um, in, in the story, there's a bit where I talk about the funeral after Llewellyn dies when people come and the, the, they lay the leaves over his, his body to bury him. That happened in the performance. I, I, spoilers, I was playing Llewellyn and I had a great big bushy beard. Great big bushy beard. <laughs> One of the ways I tried to uh, encourage people to feel in- involved in the performance was by having them come on stage and lay and scatter leaves over my body. And uh, that that was really fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it looked fun, to be honest. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was a good time. And so that, that, that then got translated into the story. At the same time, I was sort of toying with ideas of, uh, if, if anybody has done English lit, I'm sure you've talked about Brecht. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Brecht, you strange, interesting human. The idea um, of the uh, the Verfremdungs effect, I believe. Dude, that was perfect pronunciation. How did you even? <laughs> I like Brecht. <laughs> I was toying with some ideas about Brecht's alienation. And does that make the audience more involved? I was wondering if whether to lean into inclusion or exclusion, whether to make them, if alienating them would feel, make them actively think and engage more, or if physically involving them in the piece would make them feel more engaged. So that was a bit of an experiment. And I, obviously I got to ask the audience questions afterwards, which was really helpful. Um, But the research that went into the story after that, so obviously there was a theoretical research there around Brecht and um, Hall and everybody I talk about on this podcast so many times. Yeah. <laughs> but I did look into rituals around preparing for battle across cultures, not just in the West, but in around the world. So for instance, um, this, this didn't get directly translated into the piece, but I looked a little bit at Polynesian rituals before preparing for battle, and they were very concerned with protecting their manner or their um their internal state uh their their internal power and fun fact women are believed to have more of this power than men which is fun that is a fun <laughs> fact i love i love fun facts like that fun fact and apparently that's why women weren't allowed in canoes that's right. the canoe, her the canoe's magical energy and her man- magical energy would start fighting oh, no. <laughs> i love that concept yeah, i never considered that before note note to self don't go in a canoe <laughs> it's a great idea. I love it. Um, so uh, part of their rituals are about protecting themselves spiritually. And so th- I wanted to slightly replicate that in the the ritualistic way that the warriors painted themselves. So you were looking at um, this, this particular story from a, an anthropological perspective, as well as from a writerly sort of fictionalized perspective as well. I think it helps. <laughs> Actually, um, what you were saying there about um, uh, the use of the alienation uh, effect um, as it's been translated leads me actually quite nicely to the next question. Um, uh, I found it was very interesting in the story how you moved from uh, kind of the world of the story uh, into the present uh, and then back into the world of the story again after the uh, after the uh, fight uh, sequence. Um, oh. you, you had this sort of 
I guess, kind of a different voice that was saying, you know, you could still uh, see uh, the, the place today where, where these things happen, that sort of thing. So what, what, I was just wondering what made you choose that structure? What made you decide to kind of um, come out of the world of the story, look at it from, uh, I suppose, a present perspective and then go back in? What, what made you decide to do it that way? Was that influenced by the performance? That was influenced by the performance and two other authors. Um, Tolkien. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, we bow before you, O oh great sire of Birmingham. And, <laughs> and um, uh, he really loved, he loved Old English and in particular um, Norse myths. And those myths and poems and uh, uh, prose have a certain structure, a certain rhythm to them, which doesn't necessarily match the three-act structure. And one of the ways I wanted to replicate the feeling of it, this being quite an old story, they would often do that sort of thing where the, the narrator would be speaking on a very personal level, talking about a particular part of a battle. And then suddenly they would jump out of that perspective and talk about, but see the sword that just got yeeted there. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really... <laughs> That's really important to let me go off on a massive rant about that sword. So they would just do that. They would just suddenly drop it and go into a completely different perspective, a different story even. Right. And then eventually, yeah. And it, it, it was a plot, a plot by, written by an ADD person. So just kind of <laughs> bounces around all over the place. Like, oh, tangent, tangent, tangent. If you read Beowulf, uh, it's difficult going, but it's a really fun story. It's just Tangent City. Oh, it is. So I remember reading that just kind of my brain was like, what is going on? <laughs> Why are we talking about this guy? <laughs> this guy. When did he come? When did he arrive? The other author going to completely the other end of the scale was Jackie Kay. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> a book that she wrote that had an incredibly profound effect on me, and I think a lot of people, was Trumpet. If you haven't read Trumpet, read it. I beg of you, it it will change your life. Um, so the reason I talk about Jackie Kay here is because in that book, it, she jumps between very different perspectives and very different styles of writing. So when she's writing as the wife of the the, 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 one, the main female character, who is the wife of a very famous trumpet player, hence the title, uh, she writes in a very not stately, but a, a style that you might expect a very well-to-do Scottish lady to write in. Right. <laughs> this very lovely, lilting, rolling, easy-to-read style. And then she slam cuts to her son, who speaks in this very hard, very uh, clinical, grumpy uh, text, uh, this is a transcript or the conceit of it, of the book is that this is a transcript from his interview. Right. Okay. And so that's a completely different writing style again. Um, and then it turns into a medical report where the doctor is writing, yes, um, uh, this time I came to the, I saw the body, da, 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 da. And then again, it shifts again to, which is implied to be from the, uh, slight spoiler alert but joss moody the trumpet player dies he's dead at the Aww. beginning of the book so it's it's not a massive spoiler but it's it's he's dead at the beginning of the book and he you get this whole section from his perspective where he's floated out of his body and is speaking in a jazz style Ooh, a jazz style like a of poetry 
Yes, exactly. In this, and it's, it's poetry. It's beautiful. And he is observing the world and his place in it, but then also the world beyond his experience and his time and his comprehension and his wife's experience, his, his son's experience, all of this. And it's, and so it, it's, that's why I love one of the, one of the many reasons I love this book is the, you feel, you don't just feel like it's an author writing different characters. You feel like it's completely different styles of writing for each person. That was one of the reasons I wanted to try and experiment with playing with different styles of presentation in the same piece. Uh, that also, I suppose, um, it kind of explains why you included what well, I, I was going to call it a ballad. I'm not sure if that's how you'd refer to it, but how you included, uh, the, the song, the, the music, um, after the fight sequence. Um, does, uh, is that also playing into the idea of the different, uh, because then, uh, the narrator kind of explains how ballads and songs were sung of Llewellyn. Uh, is, uh-huh. is, is that part of what you've just been speaking about there? Yes. I, I, really wanted to keep that song in because that was a part of the original performance yeah and it was a lot of fun to it was i didn't write it um it was it was completely stolen from not only tolkien but um but from uh the bbc radio production of uh the lord of the rings trilogy right which again go and listen to (laughs) it's very and that song Sam sings it, played by Bill Nye. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, insane, right? Um, and it's it, so he sings this song, and it's not Llewellyn, it's Gilgalad, and it's this beautiful, haunting melody that has always stuck with me from like since I was six. Um, and so I thought when I was coming up with the story, I was like, that that song, I want that in this. So I just changed a few of the names. We, uh, some, some friends of mine and I got together and we, so we worked together to do that. And that was so much fun. And as you say, I hope that that adds to this feeling of multiple perspectives, multiple styles of presentation. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, um, I, I hadn't realized that the song was going to be in there because I knew it had been part of the performance and mm-hmm. I hadn't realized it was going to be in, uh, your recording of the story. So I was very pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, yes, this song. Heck yeah. It definitely does contribute to the sense that it's not just a, a linear narrative, nor is it episodic. It's sort of, it's going to sound really pretentious, but it's sort of <laughs> bigger than itself. Um, oh. if that makes sense. You've got the, the, the story that you're following, uh, the Llewellyn story is this ancient story and this song is uh, echoing what happened and then the narrator's referring, uh, it's just very, very nicely structured. I just wanted to point that out. Mate, thank you so much. And it, actually, I, I think you are one of the people who helped proofread it for me, so thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Always happy to help. And um, actually, speaking of editing, um, well, it's not exactly editing question, but um, speaking of uh, Beowulf and fighting and sequences and the fight sequence and the performance, um, mm. I, I know, I, I don't really know from experience because I don't tend to write them an awful lot. Which is weird, considering how much I write about, you know, people dying. Um, <laughs> but I understand that uh, writing uh, fight sequences is very difficult. And the, the fight sequence oh. that you wrote in Wellness Last Stand was very intricate and very detailed. How how did you find uh, it was... Right, this is a very weird question. How, how, uh, how did you find it writing that fight sequence? 
very difficult like you say it's it is a difficult thing to write because it's so many moving parts it's like trying to describe watching the inner mechanisms of a piece of clockwork that's a very <laughs> nice way to describe it thank you very i will thank you i will say one of the best things that happened there was getting to act it out beforehand that must have been very helpful <laughs> It was, it, it transformed it. I, I know that not everyone is in the position to grab a buddy and some foam swords and whack each other. It'd be so great if they were. So many problems would be solved. We all just had foam swords and buddies. We, we recorded the whole choreography of the, the fight scene itself. So I had that to work from. So I could watch myself and, uh, the co, uh, performer, uh, Monica Burns, author, artist, incredibly talented person. <laughs> we love you, and- we love you, man. <laughs> and she, so I could watch both of us. I could watch our expressions. I could watch our movements. I could notice things that I, I could at once write from the perspective of somebody who was in that fight because I was able to go, I was able to say, yeah. So when she came at me, that was really scary. So I was able, I was able to talk about the emotions, but I was also able to talk about the, the motions, what muscles were twitching and convulsing because I could see it, which was really handy. Very, very handy. But, at the same time, my first draft of that was pish. It was so bad. Oh, no. <laughs> it was really, really bad. It took too much time. It didn't feel like a fight when you read it. It felt like... Um, a description. Uh, a description of... Exactly. So it was actually... Um, the advice of Ellis Jameson, who was on a previous episode of this podcast. We love you, Ellis. We love you, Ellis, too. Um, and she, I sent it to her. And she had some of the best advice for me, which was <laughs> make it punchy. And I don't, by that, I don't mean, I mean, it's funny. She didn't mean throw punches, although they, <laughs> that, that they do. <laughs> they do end up throwing punches because we lost our swords. Whoops. Think about the rhythm of an actual scuffle of a fight. It's not long, languid sentences. It's da, 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 da. so punctuation is your friend. Keep your sentences short and snappy and don't be, this is, I love flowery writing. Most of my writing is flowery. (laughs) Um, I I am the queen of the flowers. (laughs) Flower crown for you. (laughs) But in fight scenes, I'm just parroting her um, advice, but that's because I think it's great. Um, Short and snappy. Punctuation is your friend. Keep all of your sentences short and description to a minimum. Just talk about the effect. Talk about what's happening. How it talk about how it feels. Sure, but keep that brief. Keep everything brief. Punctuation is your friend. Oh, punctuation! Oh God! <laughs> cut that when you edit this. Cut that out. <laughs> I I make no promises. Oh no. <laughs> Um, but speaking of um, uh, watching yourself uh, in the fight, having recorded it, uh, leads me uh, nicely into my question about um, having, I guess, been in his shoes, as it were, having played him um, and also having now written him in this piece. What do you think of Llewellyn as a character? You become incredibly biased, I think, when you play a character. You are aware of all of their faults because you helped create them. <laughs> I get that. But at the same time, 
you do end up feeling a little bit protective of them, not necessarily defending their actions, but you also want to explain everything else about them. Oh, no, I, de- <laughs> I definitely get that. <laughs> there just wasn't a good... It's mentioned a little bit, but it was there was never a good place to sort of actually hammer it home. Llewellyn bites the heads of fairies. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's, a, that's literally from a Guillermo del Toro movie. It's horrifying. And it's not nice, and it's definitely it's it's vindictive as well because he was he was a changeling child. He was kidnapped from his village when he was younger, uh, kept prisoner in the fairy realm, and then he is one of the few people who managed to come back out. And one of the ways he did it was by brutally massacring fairies. He's a straight up yeah, he's a straight up murderer. He's, What's it they say on the internet? Your fave is problematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is not a good person. And I would never argue that he is. And in fact, being in it, playing him can often feel uncomfortable because obviously, 21st century person, you tend to think, oh, maybe you shouldn't kill your way out of this maybe problem. Maybe not, no. But then when you write from the perspective of somebody that does that, the options are not necessarily shut down that it's fight fight your way out of this problem so that makes him incredibly uncomfortable as a as a person to to write and to play at the same time he has he's very freeing in that the social structures of later ideas placed on men are not there he doesn't feel like he should hide his love for his wife or that he should feel ashamed of his more tender emotions he is very, very open about his grief and about his love and about, and he's sentimental as fuck. <laughs> he is. I will say that was, a, that was an element that I particularly enjoyed how you definitely got the sense of grief and also that kind of, I don't know if gentleness is the right word, but that sense of the, the love between him and his wife and how you were able to go from that to the violence of the fight sequence. It was, it was, it, it just showed that he's not just you know some badass warrior who does badass things um he's multifaceted as a character i thought well, thank you i really appreciate that i don't know if this makes any sense but it brings these different kind of elements of him together in the sense of i am this this person who felt this this way about my wife you know i, I loved her and things and if you insult her then i will hulk out on you <laughs> yeah the idea of multifacetedness uh, leads me to uh, ask, um, it, or rather to think in terms of different moving pieces and say, uh, what do you think are some of the different elements, different ingredients that make up a good story? I think that from what I've read and enjoyed, and from what I enjoy to to write, I think... The characters, like I said, the characters don't necessarily have to be good people, but I do think you have to enjoy being with them. I think, and that can be, you might not enjoy, so for instance, you could definitely write a story from the perspective of Jack the Ripper. You don't even have to like him, but you have to enjoy the time you spend with him. This worries me about my own writing, but let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> but but your writing is incredibly enjoyable because your characters, ranging from the most sweet of sweet, innocent, baby, lovely dumplings to the most absolutely detestable maniacs, every single second is enjoyable. Oh, so you enjoy, you enjoy spending time with the characters. That's kind of your first thing. Yeah, definitely. So I think that 
definitely think about what you enjoy writing the characters or the situation um and then really lean into that and let the ca- let the characters you build let these people that you enjoy spending your time with let them direct the plot definitely yeah i mean uh, yeah i was gonna say definitely and then i'm thinking that can lead in some very interesting directions like Llewellyn deciding actually yeah we're gonna fight because as you said earlier that you didn't know it was going to go in that direction sometimes you find the characters will kind of take you on a journey that you're there going right okay here's the plan and do you find that the characters will say to you actually this is the plan and you're sitting there going all right I'll just let you take control of this completely yeah and it can and it often makes more interesting stories I think that when you start out with a plan that's great completely that and it makes that gives you a solid base but never be afraid to let the interesting and diverting things happen don't like don't become I, even though i i love old english poetry don't become a a, a messy knot of tangents <laughs> <laughs> but you know those tangents the reason that they were still ent- entertaining to those people were because they were things that they wanted to spend time on mm-hmm. if all of you enjoy spending time with whatever you're writing about whether it's villains you love to hate or whether it's music that's achingly beautiful and painful or whether it's just walking around an antique center you know just enjoying the smell of the pine or the 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 the, the furniture polish emphasize that think about what makes it enjoyable and and that actually ties very nicely to my last question and kind of i guess answers it in a sense um my final question would be uh, do you have, apart from what you've just said, uh, do you have any <laughs> particular, I think as you put it, uh, tips for aspiring scribblers? Any <laughs> tips for people out there who want to put pen to paper or in this modern day and age, fingers to keyboard? <laughs> um, I can definitely talk about it from the perspective of somebody who struggles to write. I love writing, but I find it very difficult. And one of the ways that I find it helps me is to make bullet point lists um, of scenarios that I know want to happen in a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I flesh out each bullet point. That's how I, I always form my first draft is by going through my bullet points and fleshing them out. So, um, um, and those can be really short things. It could be Llewellyn thinks about his wife. Llewellyn engages in a, in a ritual. Uh, Llewellyn remembers his time in the fairy realm. And then I go through those and I expand them and write lyrically around them or, you know, <laughs> depending on, on what, what's appropriate for that style. And that helps me because if I try and sit down and think, right, I'm going to write a novel buggered if i could actually do that because you know it's that's scary like it's it's okay yeah it's okay to admit you're scared because you have this wonderful idea in your head and then you've got to try and translate it onto paper you want to do it justice yeah but and it's a brilliant it's a piece of advice that um i got from uh, not personally but i heard from yahtzee croshaw of the internet um <laughs> um if it's just in your head, it will always be perfect, inverted commas, but it will never, it will never be real. And it will also never be what it could be. When you start putting things down, when you start making the thing, then it gets messy. 
And it, that's also where the fun ideas come from, when the weird twists and turns that you didn't expect. So like characters just going, nope, that's not how that's going to be. We're going to do it this way. That's where the fun stuff comes in. So yeah, so I would recommend put the ideas that you have in your head, the sequence of events or the character development or whatever is in your head, put it down in bullet points and then let yourself, in jazz terms, let yourself riff on that. Yeah, improvise around the chord structure you've placed down. That is a really cool way of looking at it. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you. And it doesn't. It just it helps that I love jazz. So jazz is amazing. <laughs> love jazz um right well uh thank you so much for i guess i was gonna say for being on the podcast but obviously it's your podcast um <laughs> thank you for allowing me to uh borrow your job <laughs> yeah my, i'm willing to bet people will be wanting you to do this more often <laughs> no I, I have my doubts um but yeah no, and, and thank you for sharing such a fantastic story with us it, and it's been great to talk to you about it it's been really lovely to talk to you thank you my friend you are a wonderful interviewer thank you my friend for being a wonderful interviewee thank you so much for listening if you have a story you'd like us to read then contact us through our facebook page and subscribe if you'd like to hear more this has been a yori radio production